Shake somebody's hand before you're seated and be seated. I probably have 40 or more verses, so I'm not going to ask you to stand for the reading of the word. We're going to start in Isaiah 55 and 8. we are anyway. All right, how many people got their Bible? I guess we'll have to do it the old-fashioned way. Ah, you got a Bible. Okay. Isaiah 55 and 8. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, let's, uh, oh, they got it up there. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's pray over this uh, lesson. Lord Jesus, we pray. Ask you, Lord, to help us to open our hearts. Help us to say the things you want said. Help us, Lord, to understand your word. And, Lord, uh, let it find lodging place in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God explains that there's a vast difference between the way we think and the way he thinks. The way that he does things and the way that we do things are worlds apart. So to understand God... And what his thoughts are, we must lay aside our own way of thinking and believe what his word says. So with that in mind, let us take a look at the book of Hebrews, the first chapter. This week I was reading where a person said that they were recording every sound that the baby made so they could ask him later what he meant. Some of you got that, didn't you? But, you know, sometimes that's the way we, it must be the way uh, we are in God, in God's sight. You know, he's trying to explain something to us, and we just sometimes don't get it. But he's patient. Thank God he's patient. I talked to my wife's dog, um, don't have kids at home anymore, so uh, and so it seems that she hears certain sounds, and by repetitive motion, like you need to go outside to go potty, and I get up towards the door, she gets the, finally gets the idea to go to the door. She'll even turn around in little circles, you know, trying to talk to me, and uh, but it's really. You know, it's really hard for her to understand everything I'm trying to explain to her. But she understands feelings. If I'm sad, she's up there trying to comfort me. If, if, uh, if I'm uh, scolding her, she knows that, you know. And so I, in, in that thinking, 
I'm trying to think of how God must feel trying to explain to us. It must be like a nuclear scientist trying to explain to a first grader, you know, about nuclear science. You know, thank God he's, he is patient. So sometimes we, what we have to do is take our brain that, uh, and, and kind of set it aside because the way we think, God's going to blow your mind because that's not the way he thinks, you know. So, we, and we're going to be talking about understanding who Jesus is tonight. And we're going to use scripture. Now, in our own thinking, uh, like Reagan, uh, Reagan uh, must be a Trinitarian because uh, Lorianne was trying to teach him about oneness, and he said, no, my dad's one person and I'm another. Well, he's seven years old, and that makes sense to him. And if we're not careful, that makes sense to us when we talk about God. All right? So, for a while, God put up with ignorance of man. The Bible says that. And uh, in Acts 17 and, and 29 says, for, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think of the Godhead like unto gold or silver or stone or graven image or graven by the art of man's device. And in times of ignorance, God winked at it. You know, I said, look at them out there. Messing around. They, they think I'm like that piece of metal there. And I got, and they got eyes and can't see and ears and can't hear. He winked at it, but he said, now, but now commandeth men everywhere to repent. He said, that's time. You had time enough. Let's, let's, let's really get down to brass tacks and talk about what's real. So in our lesson, we're going to study the first chapter of Hebrews tonight. So first chapter, verse 1, verse 2, says this. God, who at sundry times and diverse manners spake, in times past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and by whom he made the world so now you could read that and I've read that many many times uh, and you can almost just you know yeah I agree with that because we believe what that there is one God so you just yeah that's right but when you start to study it out, and that's what we're going to do tonight, it really breaks down into a lot of things that, that really open our understanding. All through the Old Testament, God spoke to people through prophets like Moses, Daniel, Isaiah, or God did it by great mighty acts like he did in Egypt. And people knew God was around when he was messing with them in Egypt. He did, the, he rolled the Red Sea back. Uh, he, he opened the, uh, the uh, Jordan River. But now all of a sudden God says, look, that's the way I talked to you in the Old Testament. But now I'm going to talk to you through Jesus Christ. Okay. 
though we still have prophets and pastors and teachers today, they operate differently than they did in the Old Testament. That doesn't mean that there's still not prophetic utterances. There are. But God speaks through, primarily through Jesus Christ in his written down word, and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Okay, so today people uh, are echoing the life-giving words Jesus spoke, and they operate through God's Holy Spirit. Now, there's two words in the Greek for word. The first one's logos, and that's it's the more common known of the two words, logos. The other is rima. Now, logos, in the New Testament, logos is used to refer to the act of a speaking, a speaking or written word which was recorded in the Bible, scriptures. The lesser known of the two Greek words is called rima. Rima, which is used to refer to an instant Personal speaking of God. This is going to be important, so I need you to remember that. And there's several different places you can find that in the Bible. Luke 1 and 38 and Acts 11 and 16, there's a couple of them. To think that the word of God came alive as a walking, talking, miracle-working, life-giving Savior of mankind is pretty awesome. The word became man and that's found in John 1 and 14 everybody knows that scripture we quoted a lot and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld the glory the glory of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth now Rima on the other hand here's a scripture John 4 and 10 believest not thou that I am in the father and the father in me and the words I speak to you, to you, unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that's dwelling inside of me. He does the work. Now, you could just pass that word work over unless you studied it out to find out what is he really saying here. He said, believe thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Yeah, okay. The words... What I'm telling you right now, what I'm preaching to you, what I, I'm talking about Jesus now, not me, okay? <laughs> and uh, what he's speaking and what he's teaching and the parables he's given, he said right there in that scripture, this is Rima. This is the, this is the uh, instant personal speaking of God that dwells on the inside of me. Wasn't the fleshly man. It was the God that dwelled inside of him. So the word which I speak to you, the Father that dwells in me, the Father does the work. Now what's work? What does that mean? That word actually means, if you study it out, the acts and deeds or the doing. So let's read it that way. I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he's doing the doing. He's doing the acts of what's happening right now. Live, Rima, live word of God. Here's another one. 
John 6 and 36. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words, the rima that I am speaking to you, they are spirit and they are life. See how rich that gets? It just gets richer. The Revised Standard Version puts it this way. It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is no, to no avail. The words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. So the Logos is the utterance of God. John 1, 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. That same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him without him. I want you to catch this. Without him, without who? The word, the logos. Without the word, nothing, not anything was made that was made. Not anything. Oh, it gets better. John explained to us how the world and everything was made. God spoke. And it came into existence. John goes on to say that way back in the beginning, the word was what was spoken. And when spoken, things happened. Light was formed. Great light, sun, the moon, the stars, and other things. He further said that the words, the word was God. And this is the kicker. Without the word, not anything was made that was made without it. So to divide the word, the logos, the utterance of God, it would be like saying a baby and a baby's cry are two separate beings. The baby is a living being while the cry of a living baby is only an utterance. Okay, On the human level, the baby's cry has no life. It is merely a pro projection of sound vibration. But when God speaks, his utterance are full of life. So much so that he spoke to the earth and the, told the earth to bring forth. And it's still bringing forth today. That's how powerful the word of God is. Aren't you glad? What if it diminished and over time, you know, it stopped working quite as good, you know, like our cars sometimes, you know. We'd be in big trouble. Genesis 1 once said, God said, let, their, let the earth bring forth grass and herbs yielding seed and fruit trees and yielding fruit after its kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so, and it's still so today. Hallelujah. So would it follow, if you're trying to divide God and Jesus into two separate beings, would it be like saying the earth that's bringing forth and God are two separate beings? That's what people in their mind, they get twisted around. They said, okay, okay, I don't understand this. Okay, there's, in fact, there's people who worship Mother Earth because life is in Mother Earth. Well, where did the life come from? It came when God spoke that life into that earth, and it began to bring forth, and it's still bringing forth. Hallelujah. It's not another God. Hallelujah. 
Praise God. And it is God's living word that has made flesh and live, was made flesh and lived among us. It was God's word. That does not make Jesus and God two separate beings. It means that God came in the flesh. He took on flesh. Hebrews, Hebrews 10 and 5 said, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he says, Sacrifices and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. Hallelujah. Way back in the book of Psalms, you will find where that was originated, Psalms 40 and 6. Now, it's going gonna, it's gonna to read different. Now, I want you to, want you to uh, take a gander up here to the, uh, the scripture as it comes up, Psalms 40 and 6. Sacrifices and offering thou dost not desire. Mine ears have you opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. Okay. So now how did, how did the writer of Hebrews get that out of that scripture? That's the only place in the Bible that I know of that that is recorded. I'm going to tell you how. I'm going to read it in, a, in another version, the uh, basic Bible uh, in English, and it says this. You have no desires for offering and beasts or fruits of the earth. Ears have you made me for burning, burnt offerings and sin offerings you have made no request. So, Here's what, why they translated it the way we read it here in Hebrews 10 and 5. It said, a body has thou created me, had made me. The phrase body, you have prepared me in the Septuagint, rendered of the Hebrew expressions, and this is the original in the Septuagint version of the Hebrew Bible, and you're gonna, it's kind of funny. You have dug me ears. You have dug me ears for me. Now, why, what, how in the world did the writer of Hebrews get this other, you've made me a body? Well, because the Greek translators, whose versions the, the, uh, the authors of the Hebrews used to construct this, the Hebrew text is a kind of figure of speech in which part is made for the whole, and if God is to dig out ears, he must have prepared a body. So it's a figure of speech in the Hebrew. That puzzled me for years. I kept studying all that. How in the world they get that? Well, I don't know the original Greek or the original Hebrew or the Aramaic. Uh, I had to look things up, and so that's what I looked up, and that's exactly what they said it means. Hallelujah. So God prepared a body for himself, he says. You ha I have prepared a body. Let me read that again. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, that's Jesus, he said, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. There was a body prepared for God to inhabit. 
All right. Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew 1 and 21 says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from his sins. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which mean, which being interpreted means God with us. So here again, why was he called Jesus when the prophet said he'd be called Emmanuel? Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Makes you think. All right. In this case, it's one of the titles of Jesus Christ. Uh, going on to the next verse, okay, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. We're going back to the book of Hebrews. We're going to go to the third through the sixth verse. So we established that God said, I am now speaking through Jesus Christ. He continues on saying through the writer of Hebrews, who being, the Jesus being, the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of majesties on high. Well, I don't know about you, but I have questions. In the Old Testament, question number one, why was God so deftly opposed to worship of the idols? Well, I can think of several reasons with my human brain. is they can't do anything. You got to carry them around. I, I stopped at a, a particular restaurant and they had these little Buddhas in the showcase. And you can have a pocket boodle, Buddha, <laughs> Buddha, <laughs> whatever you call him. You know, put them in your pocket and carry them around. I'm not making fun, fun of people. There's a lot of sincere people probably but that believe in that. They don't know any different. But I can think in my human mind, that is absurd to, to bow down to an idol and think the idol is going to do something for you. Okay? Isaiah 42 and 8 says, I am the Lord. That is my name, and my glory will I not give to another neither my praise to graven images. So why is that important? Well, question number two. Why would God give Jesus the brightness of his glory if he said he would never give his glory to another? Because Jesus is not another. It was God robed in flesh. He didn't give his glory to another. And it goes on to say, and he told the angels to worship him. There is not another image that God told an angel to worship. Why would he tell the angels to worship him? Because it was God 
in the flesh. Praise God. Because this goes on to say this, Hebrews 1 and 6. And again, when he bringeth his first begotten into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. We don't have a jealous God up there that said, oh, my son's getting all the glory. No, no, no. God says, I'm stepping out of eternity. I'm going to take on a robe of flesh. Now, he did limit that, that robe of flesh. Had to do everything just like you do. He got tired. He got hungry. He was born. He had to do everything just like you do. He had to pray. Why did he have to pray? He had to use faith. Every time a miracle happened, it was through faith. Not in the flesh, but in God. All right? Second, Colossians, or Second Corinthians 5 and 19. To wit, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Question number three. How was Jesus the man upholding all things? You got to get this. We just read where he was upholding all things by the, let me go back and read it to you, if I can find it here. It would be in the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. Now, how in the world could Jesus be upholding the world and walking around in this world? Ah, I know. I've done lost some of you already. All right. I'll just keep going. All right. Jesus, the man, was not upholding everything, but when he was in the form of the word of God, the utterance of God, he spoke everything into existence and everything obeyed him and has not stopped because he has not withdrawn his word. Are you glad, aren't you glad that the power of God didn't diminish after 6,000 years? The sun's still shining, the moon's still orbiting, the stars are still out there, the, world, the earth is still bringing forth. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hebrews 1 and 4. Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Question number 4. Jesus was born a man, a human. How is it he was made better than angels? Well, the scripture plainly says that Jesus, the man, was made lower than the angels. Hmm? Scripture, Hebrews 2 and 9. But we see Jesus, who was made lower than the, a little lower than the angels. Wait. Didn't we just read where he, he has a more excellent name and, he, and he's better than the angels? Well, you just got to ask questions. You don't ask questions, you never find things out. So, this is not speaking of the fleshly man, Jesus, 
as for his flesh. But he was the only begotten of the Father. There's not another angel that was begotten. All angels were created. And there's only one begotten Son of God. Hallelujah. Question number five. God has many titles and names in the Old Testament. So why is Jesus given a name above all other names? Fair enough. Ephesians 1.21, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. We could stop there and, and, and talk about that a while, but we won't because I don't have enough time to do that tonight. But he was given a name far above every name in this world and the world to come. Philippians 2 and 9, Wherefore God has highly exalted and given him a name which is above every name. Hallelujah. Hebrews 2 and 5, For which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee, and again I will be a father unto him, and he shall be to me a son. Question Number six or whatever number it is. I didn't number them. We know that Jesus had an earthly mother. We know he had a human body. And we know he had a soul. We know he had no earthly father in the sense that we know as a physical father. Then how can Jesus claim to be one and the same with God? John, all, all we could do, I can't understand it just up here, but the word can explain it to me. Hebrews, let me see what page I'm on here. Hopefully I didn't mess my pages up here. Jesus said unto him, this is John 4, 14, 9 through 11. Okay, there, there, all right, Johnny on the spot, that's good. Jesus said unto him, have I been so long time with you, and thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou, show us the Father? Believe thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. And the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father which dwelleth, living inside of me, he does the works. No other person could do the miracles that Jesus did. And if you can't wrap your head around that Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in Jesus. Here's what Jesus had to do. Can't wrap your mind around it. John 14, 11. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. If you can't figure out anything else, if you can't just get over the hump that says they're the same, 
then start believing when you see me open blind eyes and raise the dead. And by the way, I'm going to let them crucify me. I'm going to die, but I'm getting back up. He said, now you can believe because that's how powerful I am. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. And though I have a son, I cannot, I cannot claim that I live inside my son, and he cannot, cannot say that he lives inside of his father. You see, that's earthly thinking. Didn't we start out by saying, God says, my ways are so much higher than your ways, higher than the heavens over the earth, and my ways past finding out. I can do things you can't do. Has anybody here walked on water? I've heard it. That's one of the preachers said he tried it one day, but it don't work for us unless the Lord was to tell you to come. Jesus, hallelujah, can do things that we can't do. And that's the key to understanding is just believing what the word says. Now, my son could say, I look like my father, but he cannot say, I am my father. But Jesus could, could because truly God, who is a spirit, hath no physical body, but he created one so that he could walk on this earth and become a savior for mankind. There's another reason. God doesn't have blood in, it, in the law says that I cannot be saved without the shedding of blood. So he had to create a body so that he could come live a sinless life and pay the price for your sin and my sin. Because he had blood then. That's what tricked the devil. See, the devil couldn't understand that. How that God could have blood. And he knew the law. The law says that it had without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That's what it says. So he thought he had the, the ball game won. All right up until the time he crucified Jesus. The Bible says, had he known, he would not have crucified Jesus. Hallelujah. All right. Hebrews 1 and 7 says, And of the angels, and of the angels, he said, Who maketh his angels spirits? his ministers of flames of fire. But unto the Son, he said, I want you to catch this, thy throne, O God. Now wait. This is God speaking to the Son, and he called him, O God. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom, and thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee above with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Praise God. God doesn't mess around. That word God there is theos. Vine's Expository Dictionary says that it means the one true God. Let me read that again. And 
But unto the Son he said, Thou one true living God, Thou one true living God, Thy throne is forever. Hallelujah. Now, I'm going to really twist your noodle this time. Colossians 1 and 13 says this, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, of whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are in earth, by, uh, visible and invisible. Hmm. Ah, goodness. Whether there be thrones or dominions, principalities or power, all things were created by him. Who is the him? It's Jesus Christ. It's the word of God that, uh, that is speaking, uh, he's speaking of here. All things were created by him and for him. And he was before all things, and by him all things consist. That's why Jesus could look at him and say in John 8 and 58, Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. You got to think of the tense of the ver the the, the uh, words. He didn't say before Abraham I used to be. He said right now, standing here in Jerusalem or wherever he was in Israel, talking to the 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 uh, Sanhedrin or or the lawyers of the law or the Pharisees. He said before Abraham was, I'm there right now. Well, so how in the world? I can't do that. You can't do that. The de thank God the devil can't do that. All right. How could he do it? Because God is not bound by time. He only made time for humans. He is eternal. And we don't understand eternal eternality because we... We haven't been there yet. We can't, we can't fathom. I can almost fathom forever, but there's a scripture said he came from forever. I can't fathom that. I can't get my mind around, wrapped around that. Hallelujah. But let's keep going on here. We're talking about the dear son in this set of scriptures. He's the image of the visible God. We've already established that. But he's also the firstborn of every creature. Now, wait a second. Jesus was born 4,000 years after the creation. How could he be before all creation? Only one way Jesus can do that, and that's when he, he was as the word of God, the utterance of God. He was before not only before everything, he created everything. Hallelujah. The utterance of God. Hallelujah. Also, we must understand that with God, there is no time. 
Okay, so by him all things were created. We already touched on that, so I'm not going to detail that anymore. But not only in earth, I want you to get this. If you could go back to... I believe it's the 16th verse. It said he created all things that are in heaven and the earth. And both things you can see, this pulpit, this, my coat, and things you can't see. The atoms and other things even smaller than them. He created it all. And there's a reason I'm bringing this lesson today when, the, when I get to the end. I'm almost getting close there. So, not only did he create things in this earth, but in heaven too. Visible and invisible. That would include the angels, the seraphims, and the cherubim. It was the word of God that spoke those into existence. He created thrones and dominions and powers, and all that, and all of this was created by Him, but also was created for Him. Now, why would God have the word if it was separate from Him create everything and it, and nobody else get it? It's all His. There is only but one God. The Bible teaches that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hallelujah. Okay. And so he was created by him and for him. He's before all things, and by him all things consist. If he was to withdraw his word right now, every atom and every particle would disintegrate. Every bit, bit of this wood and stone and carpet, you and me, but he's not doing that because he is a steadfast God. Hallelujah. One day, though, we will, the Bible teaches that an angel will stand, one foot on the land, one in the sea, and he will declare, time shall be no more, and we will enter into eternity. Okay, there are many titles and descriptions of Jesus. There's so many. Don't have time, but we'll just go to Isaiah 96, where unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, he's going to be the ruler, and his name shall be called Wonderful. We don't go around calling Jesus wonderful. We might use it as an, uh, you know, a tag on. Uh, maybe if you get in a big trouble, sometimes you might call him the counselor. But the, the writer here, under inspiration of God Almighty, called Jesus the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. They also called him Emmanuel, God with us. I don't know how come the devil couldn't figure that out. It really baffles me because he's supposed to be pretty smart. But he didn't. 
And number seven, of the seventh verse there says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. There are some people that teach that Jesus is going to end his sonship and, and give it all back to the Father. The Bible says he was given a kingdom that shall never end. It's going on forever. Why? Because it's God in the flesh. Now it's God in a glorified body, just like we're going to have when we get to heaven. Hallelujah. Question. Who are we going to see when we get, who are we going to see on the throne when we get to heaven? Old man on the cloud, long beard, who we think is the father. Okay. Just got to ask questions. No. What will we see? What we think we're going to see, what humanity, our brain says, we're going to see God. But God is invisible. No man has seen God, the Bible said, at any time and lived. And I don't believe the angels seen God. That's why in 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy it says, seen of angels, believed on in this world. All of a sudden they saw God in a manifest form. You see, God is here. He's in Africa. He's at the moon. He's at Jupiter. He's holding us all this together. And even if you could see him, you wouldn't have an eyeball big enough to take all that in. You couldn't see it. It'd be like, you know, something like that, you know. And so he had to have a body so you could have, there could be a focal point there, okay? And you see Jesus whose government shall have no end. Praise God, hallelujah. Hebrews 1 and 10, Thou Lord, thou Lord in the beginning hath laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall, they shall perish, but thou remainest. And they shall wax old as a garment, and as a vesture, as a clothing, shall you fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. And heavens and earth will pass away. This is Luke 21, uh, 33. But my words shall not pass away. We are going to, the Bible teaches there's going to be a new heaven, new earth. teaches that we're going to, this one's going to burn up, but his government's still going straight on through. He's got a new heaven, and he's got a new earth, wherein dwelleth only righteousness. Another question I have, Hebrews 1 and 13, it says this. Uh, but what of the angels says at any time, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. We're still in the first chapter of Hebrews. 14th verse says, There are not all ministry spirits sent forth to minister unto, uh, unto them who are the heirs of salvation. God said it was his arm that brought salvation. But God is a spirit and has no arms. So, that's kind of confusion in the Bible, isn't it? I taught 
told you last time I was teaching about anthropomorphism. It's when you at, take an attribute of human characteristics and apply it to God, things, or objects. So to explain to us humans that don't, it's kind of hard for us to understand God. He said, well, I looked around. Well, let's see. Here's the scripture, Isaiah 63 and 5. I looked, and there was none to help. I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury, it upheld me. Well, that's a little vague. So let's read Isaiah 52 and 10. And the Lord hath made bare. His arm, his holy arm, in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. That's when the manifestation of God appeared on earth. Let's read the last one of the last scriptures here, I think. I'm sorry I'm getting too long here. There's a story, and I'm going to read the story. I'm just going to tell it to you to save time. Luke 2 and 20, uh, 25, there's an old man in Jerusalem. His name was Simon. He was, he was a devout man. And the Holy Ghost told him, said, you're not going to die until you see the Lord's salvation. And so when they brought, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus in to be circumcised, the Holy Ghost quickened him, and he ran in there, and he picked up that little baby and this is what he said. He took him up in his arm and blessed God, 28th verse, 29th, and said, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. So Jesus was called the arm of the Lord. So when you read in your scripture, when you read in your scripture, it says he sits on the right hand of God. That's not a place. That's not, God doesn't have a right arm. He doesn't have a left arm. What does that mean? It means the power of God. Hallelujah. That's why Jesus could say all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. I'm wrapping it up right now. I, I brought this whole lesson to get to this point. While meditating and studying on the lesson, I felt God wanted us to, to come to this point. How, and this is a question for you, how much can you trust God for? First response, well, well I can trust him for everything. That's a good Christian response. You know, you probably been schooled well. I have. But our actions don't always bear that out. By studying about who Jesus really is and how much power he has, don't you think that you and I could venture to trust him just a little bit more? After all, he can roll back the Red Sea create a world, command waves and wind, make, 
snake and count the stars and fling them on anybody's fingertips and command them to stay and create angels and become a man and die in our place, arose from the grave and come out with the keys of death and hell. Can you trust him with your health? Can you trust him with your weakness? Can you trust him with your children? Can you trust him with your vulnerabilities? You see, we still like to be kind of in control of some things. It's natural. It's human. It's what we are. But when you get to seeing how much power he has and how much authority he has and how great he is and what and how much he loves us, hallelujah. Jesus said, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me, not just in this earth, but in heaven too. And the Bible says we have an advocate with the Father. But do you know he's also the judge? All right. If you'd like to stand. All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Well, that leaves out nothing. No bad man that wants to rob you. No devil that wants to destroy you. No sickness that wants to kill you. No power is given. All power is given unto Jesus, even over our sin that he can forgive. So where, where are you and I struggling? I still struggle. And if you're honest, you struggle with some things too. But if we just get our eyes on how great Jesus is and how powerful he is, and there's nothing not under his control. Hallelujah. If you have anyone here that's not been baptized in Jesus' name, when you call on the name of Jesus in baptism, you invoke the blood. I know there's other ways people get baptized, but the Bible teaches that, that we're to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that brings the blood, the all-powerful blood, the ever-cleansing blood. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, thank you for letting me go just a minute over. Hallelujah. Brother.